Susan Stroman sat down for a one-on-one -on -one interview in January of 1994. I'm Hope Clark, a member of Stage Directors and Choreographers Society, and this is Masters of the Stage. This program is produced and presented by the Stage Directors and Choreographers Foundation in collaboration with the American Theatre Wing. Because this program was not originally intended for broadcast, it is not of the highest technical quality. As a result, portions of the conversation may have been edited. So the prices of props and sets have really, they're ridiculous. So the thing is, you really do have to be really, really close before you ever go into tech about being right. It's not, there, is no, there is no time to fool around. We'll, we'll, we'll fool around with that during previews. That won't happen. Especially for a choreographer. If you want to make a change, if you want to change 16 bars of music, that involves um, the dance arranger, the orchestrator, calling rehearsal for the orchestrator, calling rehearsal for the actors, getting the lighting designer to come in. It, it, it involves maybe five or six departments for you to change 16 bars of music. So you really do have to be close to being around. Uh, just stop breathing. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm thinking about Showboat, <laughs> which is currently in Toronto with a cast of 73? Yes. 73, and it's planned. Is that sufficient? Oh. No, actually, the brand new theater complex that uh, producer Paul Garth Drabinsky Live Entertainment has built. Up there. He has his own Lincoln Center now up there in Toronto. But it's a beautiful theater complex. Is that his home base? Yes. Mm -hmm. He just came in. So in bringing that show, let's, let's just take it for instance. It's 73 people in the cast, and it's a large stage, big production. Where could it play? And if it does, what then become? They'll say, well, now we got a couple of 50? Or yes. Let us know what some of those discussions might be. Well, the only place they could play here is the Gershwin, so they're thinking about bringing the show in in the fall, the Gershwin Theater. Beyond that, I don't know. I can't, we haven't even thought of that. The goal was to open it in Toronto and open it in New York. Perhaps they will come to me and say, we need to cut this down before the people. <laughs> I'm not going to think about that right now. Because every person is used at all times, all 73 people are always on stage and show them. So it'll be a complete new um, rehearsal mess. When, when? You said they're always on stage? They're always on stage. What is this, another cabaret? <laughs> huh? They're watching, correct? <laughs> so, yes, sometimes they're over. We have um, side stages that they watch and, oh. and uh, having some activity over there while this things going. Is this kind of in the surround, or the, 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 what I call the ambiance yes. that is on over here? Yes, indeed. Well, and Eugene Lee did, did the set, so it's very environmental. Oh, very interesting. Mm -hmm. I think we'll look forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> when will they spend the money redesigning that there, huh? <laughs> and then they have to bring it back to a certain kind of shape. Like Catherine, oh, they can afford to. Uh, tell us about uh, Like Crazy for You, because that's been really a major hit for you, and I think a wonderful and well-deserved success. What, tell us some of the, the wonderful highs and then possibly some of the lows, you know, and some stories you want to share with us about that? Actually, uh, Crazy for You was the musical comedy ride of my life. Every moment it was just the collaboration of the team, uh, Robin Wagner and, and uh, Mike Alfred and Paul Gallo and We Might Alone, just the whole group. Uh, it was an incredible collaboration, which I wish for all of you when you go out there. And the fact that the show has been embraced so by not only New York, but Japan and London and Canada and soon Australia, hopefully. Um, it's just extra icing on the cake because it was such a wonderful experience. Uh, also to develop dance progression music, to dance to them, those melodies, and to be able to develop those melodies are thrilling for a choreographer. I have to say the 
So there were actually no no real lows with Crazy Few. Everything about it has been a joy. For that, however, there were a few lows where um, I thought, well, I, I can't do this and then chuck it all in and make earrings out of music, sheet music or something. Uh, but uh, I was the original choreographer to Kiss the Spider Woman, and it was a devastating experience, horrible experience. It was just uh, many obstacles uh, for anyone involved in that show. And when it uh, ended for me up at Purchase, I thought, oh, this is what I wished for my whole life. And here I was working with the best. And it was a hideous experience. And now that the show is in, and the spider web hangs right next to Crazy Feel, I look at that and I realize that I could not have got Crazy Feel if I had not gone through what I went through to get the spider web. Because although it was a hideous experience, when I was in the moment of it, when I look back on it, now I realize uh, that that the knowledge I learned from that experience, things that I would never again put up with, or things that I will now troubleshoot because I'll see them immediately, that knowledge uh, inside me will um, is precious to me. So when I see that every time I walk down 35th Street. That's such a wonderful story. And I think, I think if we can just not to dwell on it, but <laughs> we all, you know, because I, I look out many faces out here of people who have been in the business for a long time, and sometimes it's, you know, you want the highs, but you spend so much time with the lows because of the problems that seem to hang, whether it be between the creator, uh, staff, or the producers. It's tend to keep getting in our way. When those things happen, what do you what what do you feel is your support system? You know, like if, you know, you hit a low or you hit a snag, what is it that you think you can do to pull yourself out of it? Or what what helps reinforce your faith in your talent? Well I think actually you just really have to steer clear of anything or anyone who's gonna stifle your creativity. But you get out of it, get away from it. And uh, I found just by, by, you know, it sounds like a self-help book, but uh, it really does take some courage, and it takes believing in yourself and uh, being ready to take a chance, and being prepared, really being prepared, so when that so-called one-day break happens, that you're ready for it. If you have an interview for a particular show, you should prepare yourself in every way you can for that interview whatever you can about the show, uh, or about the type of dance or, or direction you need to, uh, just anything that can help you get this job. Because I have to say, it will not come to you unless you go out and get it. If I didn't go out and create The World Goes Round, I wouldn't be here right now. I had to create the work, because it's not out there because there's not enough of it. The plight of theater, we all know, is, is not, not good right now. So if you believe in something, if you have a passion for a particular project, then uh, you should give it all you got and, and use your imagination. Really use your imagination and imagine yourself succeeding. When I used to dance, uh, when I was younger, you know, I used to imagine that I could really fly, just fly. I don't feel that anymore because I'm a little older, a little more earthbound. But um, but because I imagined it, I really did fly. And I think you just have to keep your mind open and and just not let anybody step your creativity. And just just um, your imagination is so important. It really is. To everything that you should apply imagination. It sounds like one of the best motivating factors you had was that, that wonderful desire, as you say, to fly, which is to let go, to create, and to, and to just go, be ready. And I think for all of us, I think it's being ready. Being ready when, you're, when, when you need to be called sure. to do something. Because uh, chance only favors the prepared mind. Oh. And um, we have to get 
recreated I got written on how they got that, but there's nothing you can do right now. So I'm sure it's about to happen, although I haven't uh, been faced with it yet. Let me just ask a question that um, uh, I, I'm remembered uh, of the session that you had with Chris Chapman, and uh, Chris was very kind of open about his greatest fear uh, concerning guys and dogs, and, and that he knew that the opening wasn't working, and that he had to, you know, and Sherry and I finally figure it out. What would you say is your greatest fear, or what? Feel might be a mistake or a problem or that might get in the way or just the word fear. <laughs> well, actually, I, I don't think I have a great fear inside me, but I do know that time is always an element. I mean, the fear is that you're going to run out of time. You're going to run out of time to put your brakes up there to be able to fix things. So it's it really is time, making sure that all the departments get all their time to fix all their the different moments, and uh, hopefully you don't get left behind the door. So, the get there. so you don't feel there's an ever an inadequacy that you have to deal with? Um, no, I'm not quite sure. You're not about, sure. About, about your town. You know when you when you watch an opening night and think, well, they like it. You know the like the line chorus. Oh my God, I hope they like it. I hope they like me. Yeah. Does that ever bother you? Or the thing is, you can't because you can't call it. I'm sure we've all just seen shows that we thought were just great and got ripped, or else we saw shows that we thought, what was that? And it gets a rave at times. You just can't call it any longer, and the only thing you can do is be sure of your work, and it's the only thing you can do, and know that you have done everything you possibly can to create that number and that piece, or you've discussed it all with everybody involved to help, you know, there are many times that I'll think, why doesn't that step work? I think it's funny. It was funny on my living room floor. <laughs> Nobody's laughing. And, uh, you know, I'll look at it a little, a little longer, and I think, well, maybe if I ask the lighting designer to all of a sudden on this one beat, give it a pink gel. And, you know, I had the time to try that, and of course, indeed, that's what made the audience laugh. It just needed to be pointed up to the audience that it was supposed to be funny. And uh, there it was, but it's it's making sure, being sure of your work is making sure that you have really explored everything you can possibly do to get it to where you want it to be. After that, it's out of your hands, because you really, who knows what, what, what they're supposed to like any longer. Well, and it sounds, it sounds like you're a very good collaborator, and I think you like collaboration. Oh, sure. It was very important. It's very, very important because uh, everything that you do, it, it, it depends on other departments to make it work. Um, what would be your opinion of theater today? This is the age-old question I think we ask ourselves. Are we in a bad state of affairs? Are we getting better? Are we going backwards? Are we, you know, we're, we're in such a, a, what I call a revival mode seems like we're in a real revival mode. And we're, and we're looking now to start opening up and do new works. Where, yeah, where do you think we're going to go over? Uh, I, it's very difficult now, for, uh, the, and it's because of the cost of theater, and um, for what an audience is seeming to demand now, too, visually, to, um, to really tell what's going to happen, because uh, people don't want to invest money in something that's not tried and true. When Hal Prince called me and said he was going to do showboats, I said, excuse me? <laughs> because he's never done a revival, ever. Um, but he adores the music as I adore the music. And, and Hal is a political animal. Everything he does is very political. And every piece of theater he does. And uh, that is why I indeed did showboat, because of Hal, because what I thought he might do with that show. But to find new composers or somebody who's going to to nurture them and support them to write new music is, is hard to find. And that's that's what we have to do, is, is try to, to be very supportive to new people writing music, writing uh, uh, new theater, trying to take us away from revivals. You're right, and trying to take us into a new direction. 
um, how was doing that. And as you may or may not know, the director's workshop was just closed, which was too bad over a rights problem with the DGA. It just happened yesterday. And I feel very bad about that because they were presenting you know, three new works. Uh, are you familiar with the director's lab? I'm talking now. I'm, I'm deviating just because I think it's important to know that we we're trying to keep new works alive, we're trying to do workshops, and, and something always gets in the way, either it's a property rights. Have you had anything like that where you've worked on a piece and then the property right because it belonged to some estate some long time ago? Anything like that ever affect your work? Uh, sure, there's, uh, well, a long time ago I did a project called uh, Trading Places with uh, a dance partner of mine, Jeff Easy, and we, within that, uh, piece, there was new music, but there was also recreations of some old tunes from but from Berlin Estates and the Gershwin Estates, and trying to get the rights from these different estates was a nightmare to the point where the show just dissolved because it was impossible. Uh, many times you'll find a family like the Gershwin Estate who now, with Crazy View, are thrilled that they have a new show because it just extends their grand rights for the family for years. Uh, but uh, they're, they, they've been actually very generous and gracious in allowing me to take their music and develop it you know, in a different way that they've never seen before. But uh, they're, they're tricky on any sort of um, where the show is being done, how many, who can be involved in it. It's tight, the states are very tough. It'd be better if someone just wrote some new music and we left all these people behind. Hear that? Get out of those poses <laughs> and writers. So, after Showboat, what's next? Have you got some plans? Are you up for two or three other projects? Well, I'm actually working on a, a new show with Alan Menken, who actually is writing the music, and a new show with Cameron Um It takes place in the 30s in Atlantic City instead of dance marathon. So we're creating that. So we um, are actually in the very early stages of creating it. Because it, it involves dance, it's a very close collaboration from the very, very top about how the music um, tells the story along. I'm gonna just throw this one little thing in here. I'm gonna open a press there. <laughs> Did he influence you a lot? Sure, I, my, it was a big deal in my family growing up with things and staring and beyond. Everything stopped, all the focus went to the TV. And just, uh, you know, his use of props too, I'm sure, had an influence on me just because in no way were they extraneous. They always came out of the character. He was waiting for his sister and she didn't show up and he leaned against a hat rack. The hat rack became his sister. So uh, all that, I'm sure, really instilled, was instilled into me just about the way he developed the music for the dance, too, because he, he, it was a stare on Hermes Pan that really developed all those numbers. That was a collaboration. Yes, very good. Brilliant collaboration. And he had that wonderful ease about it never looked like work, but you knew that he was in the studio for hours. Well, that's what I keep saying to, you know, like, for example, people in Crazy View that it needs to look effortless. I just came from Canada where um, it did not look so effortless during, <laughs> during uh, rehearsals. And I told them that the audience wants to see that it's just part of you. And, and the only way the dance will become real within that scene is if it looks effortless. Uh, Chet Danson did a wonderful toast to Johnny Carson on the Kennedy Honors. He said, we love him so much because he makes it seem so effortless. He works very hard. Um, that's kind of my whole round of questions. I hope and maybe I've opened up a few avenues of thought for you, or maybe I've missed some things that you think need to be covered. So I'd like to ask you to uh, go ahead and maybe uh, raise your hand. And if you would, would you stand up and say your name <laughs> so that we see you and everyone? I'm going to talk about the lighting and the scene people walking in, and then it's pretty much.
once I finish, sure, once I finish a number, I think about the lighting and know, feel what's going to enhance it. And I'm there at 8.30 in the morning going to every lighting cue with the lighting siren. Every minute that somebody goes like this, there's a light cue. <laughs> so there's, I sit right with him and we go through the lights for all numbers. say to me, you know, if you move them back five feet, I'd get some side lighting on them, so I indeed move them. Yeah, no, that's, no, definitely. It's a collaboration with all those departments. And you, you get your say on the numbers, don't you? Uh, so that the director's not the one that's doing the lighting. Oh, sure. So yeah. you get your, your point of view is very well taken into consideration. Oh, yeah. That's good. Mm -hmm. It has to be. It really has to be. Because you're the one, uh, it's very clear in your mind the way you see it. Uh, if also, with the, with the set designer, a lot of that uh, collaboration has been done beforehand. The lighting designer is probably the last one that you get, can get your hands on. But the set designer, for example, if you know that in the 1930s there was corrugated tin on a lot of the buildings and architecture, and you, you would propose that to him, that wouldn't it be swell if there was some corrugated tin on his feet so that I could tap you so then he puts it in the budget and you either get it or you don't. But uh, it, it, ha it all goes back to the research mm -hmm. and trying to find out what you can use from that time. Uh, even if it's uh, not so much the sets and the lights, but as far as even something as dance steps, in Crazy Few there are many poses that the women have that are uh, indicative of the 1930s or Art Deco statues and figurines from that time and, and uh, figurines from architecture. So it was that sort of research that led me to doing that choreography. Not only is the 30s filled with the Lindy and the Shag and that, but also the way the women stand is, is the way that period is from the research end. So I, I, I just follow the opportunity for that too. I probably shade that article. Oh, sure. Yeah, definitely. Somebody else? Yes, David. Could you talk a little about the controversy around Showboat and what your response as an artist was to that and the other artistic uh, collaborators? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, if, if you do not know, Showboat caused a great bit of controversy up in Toronto. And there were, right until opening night, human chains and picket lines and signs that stop sink Showboat, actually. It stopped there for opening because I feel what they were or objecting to was the original showboat or the original Edna Ferber novel, which they have a right to be upset about. Uh, what we did was try to do a showboat that was going to be palatable to a 1994 audience. Uh, how we really tackled the book. Whether we, we cracked it or not is another question, but he went after it. There's no stereotypes in the show. Also, for me, I have to say that the controversy made me even further go into more research and find out what I could do to make this be a different showboat. In the second act, Hal asked for a montage to be done to show the passage of time. When he first said it, I thought, well, this is just going to be a big old fashion show. I've got to get through about 27 years here. So I sat on a stool with Florence Klotz for two days and assigned all these different co costumes to indicate the period. But I thought, what more could I bring to this montage that would make it more important? I found out that the reality of the Charleston and, and where it came from, comes from is that it was developed by the blacks in New Orleans on the levee. And I already had built in a big white Charleston at the end of showboat, which everyone knows, but I wanted to show that the whites learned how to do the Charleston from the blacks, and so within this montage, we, it, which takes place on the streets, I can show through street dancers and, and one-man band, panhandlers, people doing the Charleston and groups of whites watching them. Therefore, when the scene comes, when there are white Charlestonettes, we know exactly the contribution that blacks made to dance and to music at the time. Since I was open to develop the music, which I, I would never want to do showboat if I didn't have that, but uh, the current estate allowed me to develop the music, I was able to also incorporate uh, black jazz 
uh, actors playing the trombone or outside the trumpet and cornet and uh, show the contribution to music that was also made, which uh, she has never been done a show before. So once we were able to do this show vote in a way that an, an audience was going to be interested and not just going to the same old war horse, uh, all the controversy stopped. Whether it starts up again and when it comes in town is another story. Does that mean then you created was a new music like compositions? Mm -hmm. There's well, some than just dance arrangements, right? Oh yes, yeah. Well, yes, right. Because the montage would be considered more of a composition than a dance. Very interesting.
But you also said to guard for men's really instrumental. Evidently keeping it together or keeping enough money coming in. Both. It had to do, no one would have touched that show if he hadn't dumped a lot of money into it. And he really, Garth believed in that show and uh, he got it into New York so he could do it as well as One good thing for a producer. And it's, This question was inaudible. Uh, yeah, I was offered. Yes, no, I was offered to do that girl, but it didn't actually. It just merely didn't work out with my schedule. You know, just what happened with my schedule. And there are times that the press gets things wrong. Stop acting. 
the way they acted in the scene fed go right through the dance and out again. No, it's very, very important to me. Sure. Do you think the movie musical will come back? <laughs> See, I yeah. think they're trying to do it in a different way. Sister Act? Yeah, that would have made a good musical if someone had thought of that first. See, Sister Act, I think that number one, the first one, was wonderful. Yes, it, it was. really does. It, 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 it showed them how they really. Yes, it's too bad a theater person didn't get the little idea first. Yeah, I think that would be great. Yeah. Who else did I? I saw him. Yes. Well, for example, I'll, I'll just uh, use Fraser Pugh for an example in case you've seen it. Uh, there's a, a number called Shall We Dance? So what I did, I have this bare melody of Shall We Dance. Now, if I want Bobby and Polly to be coy and shy with each other, I'll put that in a soft shoe rhythm. If I want them to start with Fall in Love, I'll put it in a jazz waltz. If I want them to be deep in love, I'll go to a grand waltz. And if I want the big passion moment, I'll put it in a big four four time. So the rhythm that I choose to take and develop a melody will exemplify the emotion that I want for the dance. So that's whatever dance I do, I start with the melody and then take my story, my beginning and middle end of the dance, and then I develop the rhythm to make the dance. Once I have the music, then I do the steps. The steps are the very last thing I do. Good. Very good. Yes. Uh, 
Crazy Few is inherently American in its aggressive dance form, and uh, you can't get that anywhere else but here. No, and you can't teach it. It's hard to teach. There's a certain sensibility that Americans have that it'll get right across the footlights. And uh, it doesn't happen in London, it doesn't happen in Canada. It's uh, a certain performance level. It's, it's, it's the attitude of being the best, and I want to be the best, as opposed to this is just good enough. So there's a real difference in dancers from the States, from America, and dancers from London and, and uh, Canada. Although I feel, since we've done Crazy Few in both countries, they have learned a lot more than they uh, would have by just doing another British show. Uh, they embraced it, but they had to be forced to embrace it. They, <laughs> it was just hard to get that sort of energy that we have here. So it's very different. It, but I, yeah, I have to say, you have to respect the rehearsal process of all actors, whether in the States or in London. So when I got there, you know, I just had to deal with their energy and, and try to get out of them when I could, because you just, every actor is different, and you just have to go at their pace and hope for the best. Is different. The timing is 
Gershwin, Janet Jackson, and we're not getting the performance. Yeah, we're not getting the performance for, for either. No, it's, it's, I mean, we have a heck of a time trying to cast Gregory Field. It's terrible because those people you can count on one hand that can do that, the Gregory Hines. The people like Lindbergh and Tito Rivera uh, were developed their talents by doing it in the musical, starting from the chorus and going on. Those musicals no longer exist. So the young people were gearing themselves up to stand in a rag costume, set a stage, and build out a big D note, and not have to worry about anything else. So it's hard to find those people now because the young people are gearing their talent for those kind of shows. Anyone else? Yes. Uh, 
Jimmy asking her to marry him when it all comes true, and then her not answering, singing, um, uh, I'm sorry, he asked, marry me, and then she said, she doesn't answer him things when it, when it all comes true, starts to dance because she's so happy. He comes in and sees her and sweeps her off her feet. And then by them dancing, he again hands her the ring and she accepts and the audience is thrilled that she has accepted it for this time. But it started back from the original ballad called We Marry Me. Marry me. And uh, so it tells that story of a boy, probably for the fifth time, asking this girl, will you marry me? And her not answering him. So, so therefore there are characters. In every number the world goes around there are characters. But it just starts in a minute, the blackout ends, and the lights come up again, it's a new character. Do you think that musical reviews are uh, something you want to continue to work on? And will be uh, happening a lot in the theater? Uh, sure. I mean, the, the Sondheim show at Carnegie Hall was sort of the same thing. As, as much as we could get our hands on making a, developing a little story within the numbers, we did so. Um, but I think it's important. A lot of Andrew Neff's music is. Um, sabotaged by the book all the time in the musicals and, and people don't really hear the music sometimes. And what was great about the world was around was really showing how wonderful Canada's music really is. So uh, and uh, sometimes too that doesn't get a long run in a lot of his shows. So if there can be something to really show his music off, you know, definitely, you know, I'm, I'm all for it. Again, this is Hope Clark, and thank you for listening to Masters of the Stage. This program was made possible by support from Stage Directors and Choreographers Society, the National Labor Union celebrating five decades representing the needs and aspirations of its members. 
Visit us on the web at www.sdcweb.org. This online series is presented in collaboration with the American Theatre Wing, dedicated to illuminating how theatre is made through the words of the people who make theatre. Visit them online at americantheaterwing.org.